Hello, friends, and welcome to But I Digest. My name is Hans Rupert. And I'm Steve McDonough. Each week, we celebrate the food in our lives, its history, its heroes, and all of its glorious hoopla. On every episode, we feature a specific food, and then we search for our choicest facts, pulling down the heavy branches, braving the painful stings of angry wasps and hornets as we obsessively work to harvest all of the good stuff. And as always, we're happy to have you along with us on that journey. And today's topic, if you haven't guessed it from my weird intro, is figs, uh, which I have to say I'm a bit obsessed with. Are you a fig guy, Steve? I, I, well, it depends. Like we, here's the thing, like uh, a fig jam, when we do a, a cheese board, when we have guests over and we'll always put cheese on a nice board, we'll do like a fig jam on the side so you can just put it on top of some like really good Irish cheddar, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. But when it comes to a fresh fig off the tree, it uh, it skeeves me, as we say <laughs> in Jersey. It's it. There's just something about the white things kind of hanging out oh, in yeah. there. They uh, I don't know. I mean, we were in Greece and Dan picked a fresh fig off a tree like this grecian fig and he oh, yeah. bit into it and he's like try this and i'm like no uh yeah they, they just gross me out well it, it they are a little unusual and so i will get into all of that but i i really when i say i'm obsessed with figs i have to give a little backstory because i really think that i am slightly obsessed with figs uh i have been picking the same fig tree since probably about 1980 82 and at the time it was our neighbor's fig tree and his name was mr cartwright and Mr. Cartwright, um, his father planted the fig tree in 1935, this one that I'm talking about, or thereabouts, as his memory. So it's an old fig tree. It is massive. And uh, as a kid, Mr. Cartwright, who was a sculptor for the Georgia Marble Company, he was deathly allergic to uh, wasps and hornets and yellow jackets. And so he was kind of afraid that if the figs didn't get picked, he was going to be stung because they love yeah. those things. Uh, so he would pay me. And again, I was 10 years old. Uh, probably between the ages of 10 and 16, he would pay me like five bucks for the summer to keep the fig tree picked. <laughs> and But then he would give me all the figs because he didn't like them. So not uh -huh. only was I doing him a great service of pest control, sort of, or, you know, on the preventative oh, side. Oh, he just wanted fig removal. He didn't yes, want I was, retrieval. I had, he just wanted fig removal. I probably was the pioneer in the fig uh, removal business, at that, at least in this area. And he'd pay um, you $5 and all yep, the figs you can eat. All the figs you can eat. Oh, and I... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so listen, when I um, it's a it's a long story. He was a great neighbor. He was a, he had a bit of a of, of an alcohol issue. And so he was always kind of a, he was a funny drunk, but he was just a, a fun neighbor to have. And one day when I was probably 14 years old, sitting on his front porch, he said to me, Hans, one day you'll live in this house. I mean, totally, totally random. And lo and behold, I live in that house. Which one? The one next to the, the, the uh, restaurant? Yep, right behind the Woodbridge Inn. Uh, it's, uh, yep. So I live Aww. in the Cartwright house. And part of the reason I, I always wanted the house, it's a beautiful brick house. It's a little small for our family, but that fig tree honestly was part of my, oh my God, I need that house. Now it just so happens that we are in the midst of fig, uh, fig season as we are recording this. And I am not joking in the last probably three weeks, I've picked about 40 pounds of figs off of this one tree. I mean, it is unbelievable how many I'm picking every so day. So the branches must be like low, oh, yeah. right? To totally loaded. Laden with fruit. <laughs> exactly right. And uh, that um, that is really, it's my kind of full-time job in this season because if I don't, uh, if I don't pick them, the squirrels get them, the mockingbirds get them and then mock me in the process, hence the name mockingbirds. Um, you ever heard of a catbird? 
Do you know the expression? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm half listening because I'm just thinking about the fact that you're saying that your full-time job is fake picking right now. <laughs> I mean, it I'm is. Trying, I'm trying to catch up with all of this. Okay, then mockingbirds are mocking you. Yeah, and so catbirds, cat cat birds, birds, cat birds are little kind of brown-gray birds, and they sound like a meowing cat. Oh. Uh, and so you think there's you're surrounded by cats, and you look up in the tree, and there's catbirds in there. Uh, and they, I swear, they're mocking me with the mockingbirds because they'll get a big juicy ripe fig in their mouth and just look at me like totally straight in the eye as they fly off like i gotcha as they're um, sitting in that catbird seat in the catbird seat yeah i don't know the the, uh, the derivation of that but those are the damn catbirds um anyway i could go on about this forever but i now on the property have no less than 13 fig trees because over the years i've sort of amassed a collection of different types and there's literally thousands of different varieties or cultivars uh, some that are red when they're ripe, some that are red on the inside, some that are green when they're ripe or yellow or white on the inside. There's so many different varieties and they all come into season at different times. So starting with Mr. Cartwright's original tree in late August, mid to late August, that's when the season starts. And I have some that go all the way up until frost. So I'll be picking figs really and truly until the leaves drop off the trees. I yeah. learn something new about you all the time. <laughs> You're just like, I, I do tend this... to be obsessive this dense figgy book is right. what you are well and so in my book i kind of talked about this a little bit my my grandfather on my mom's side we called him papa papa was a police officer in a little town called cannon georgia and he had a massive fig tree as well in his little house and he had tiny little house rural as you can imagine c-a-n-o-n spelled kind of just like the uh, the camera and he was a police officer there in Cannon, and we rarely went to, it was kind of kind of a drive, kind of over towards Athens, Georgia. Uh, I know many of you have heard of the B-52s and R.E.M. and those kind of bands came out of Athens. So anyway, my my papa was a police officer, and when we would go to visit, he would always want to impress me with his, his revolver or his badge or his, you know, CB radio. And I was literally looking over his shoulder at the fig tree thinking, I got to go out there and pick those figs. Uh, so I was more obsessed with, uh, you know, probably a, a young boy should have been impressed with all the police paraphernalia, but I was much more impressed with, with his fig tree. And his wife, Geneva, made the best fig jam on the planet. And it was a kind of fig jam that had the whole figs in it, you know, so there was this sort of amber colored yeah. sticky liquid that kind of suspended these whole figs. That were just like, you know, if you could get one of those on a hot buttered biscuit, uh, I mean, it was really just a transformative thing. And I regret to this day that I never learned from Geneva exactly how she made them. Uh, but it makes it all the more special that every time I would go to visit them, she would send me home with a uh, with a jar of fig preserves. And I hold every fig jam preserve I've ever eaten, even the good ones. I hold them against Geneva's and they just don't hold a candle. She's, yeah, she's amazing. So uh, anyway, so I have this, this lifelong obsession with, with figs. And... Uh, we just, we just heard it for <laughs> the greater part of my life. Uh, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Sorry. Seriously, so it was, no, it was seriously, it, it was yeah. very interesting and delicious sounding. Well, but now tell us about figs, shall yeah, we? So if the, the figs themselves are a member of the larger ficus family. And the, uh, the most famous probably other than our edible one is the rubber tree. You know, so when you think of the rubber tree where natural latex and rubber are harvested, uh, it is in the fig family. And then there is the uh, sort of ubiquitous house plant or office plant, which is sort of the common ficus tree. Sometimes ficus. it has, yeah, yeah I'm yeah. sure you've seen them. Sure, you, we have seen, ficus. You've seen fake versions of them too. Like that's probably the, the most, yeah, the, the ficus tree. That's exactly right. I think the Latin name is ficus benjamina. Uh, of that particular one, but it's a tropical plant, and it also produces a little tiny uh, dark red fruits. 
Uh, but we would never see that because they're not grown in the right conditions. And then also there's the banyan tree, which some of you might have seen in mm. nature documentaries that kind of almost look like they walk because yeah, they set yeah, down roots great. and make yeah, new ones. Mm -hmm. um, so all of the ficus trees have that kind of latex in common. So when you pick a fig and you see that white sap ooze out of the, the stem side of it, that is actually latex. And some people have a mild allergy to eating a fresh fig right off the tree. And for about three or four hours, if you are sensitive to latex, if you eat a fresh fig, it can make your mouth itch, it can make your lips kind of swell up a little bit. And so a lot of people will wait a few hours after they pick them to eat them if they have that sort of a latex sensitivity. But that Thank latex- Thank you for Mr. Medical Information. That's, that's good knowledge. Write <laughs> that down, people. It's Write that down. inexpensive Botox. If you want a little plumper lips, you just go and eat a fig tree, put some of that uh, latex on there, and you're going to have those nice big fish lips okay. uh, if you are sensitive to that. I, I can eat them straight off the tree like a goat. But the that latex sap actually was a defense mechanism that the over over the eons, the plants and the ficus tree have sort of developed to ward off insects and animals from uh, damaging the branches. So that that sap is not quite poison, but it, it is considered a toxin for a lot of animals. So it kind of helps uh, defend the plant and figs themselves. I mean, there there are thousands of different species of figs. They are such an important part of so many ecosystems, and they provide not only shelter, but also nourishment to literally tens of thousands of, of animal species. And the one that we know and love is particularly called, um, or that species, is called Ficus carica. And Ficus carica, even though that is the family name, there are, again, thousands, if not tens of thousands of cultivars. Uh, starting really in the Mediterranean, started in sort of northern Africa and then moved its way across the Mediterranean. And they love that extra calcium. If you think of around the Mediterranean, it's a very sort of white, sandy, calcium-rich soils. The, the fig trees in this, uh, in this genus love that. And they have been a part of um, really in, in literature, literature and science and culture and even religions. It's just a massive part of our, our human kind of existence. And I really geek out on all of this kind of history science stuff. And I have to give a nod to there's this amazing book uh, that I actually read a couple of years ago and then went back to in studying for, uh, for our homework for this. Uh, and it's called God's Wasps and Stranglers, uh, The Secret History and Redemptive Future of Fig Trees. Uh, the author's name is Mike Shanahan. I know, doesn't that sound like <laughs> that is just steeped I, I, in? I have, a, I have a signed copy of that. I, I, if you did, I would probably steal it next time I'm, I'm up there. Uh, but it really is an amazing read. Even if you aren't geeky nerdy into the science stuff, it is a really well put together start to finish uh, book. Uh, I would highly recommend if any of this stuff uh, interests you. Um, but again, all of the different cultivars, they come in so, different, so many different colors, shapes, and sizes. As I mentioned earlier, the purple, yellow, brown, black, green, uh, and there's even striped figs. And they're all delicious. Some of them taste like strawberries. Some have notes of melon. Some of them have sort of a honey taste to them, while others have sort of almost a sulfury um, sorghum syrup molassesy kind of a kind of a flavor. So, it, to say this tastes like a fig is almost like saying this tastes like a fruit, right? I mean, it's a pretty right. pretty huge family. But we do have to talk about the fig itself. The thing that that kind of skeeved you out is not actually a fruit. And what it is, is sort of an outside-in flower. So uh, if you open the fig and you really examine it, there are actually minuscule, tiny, individual flowers inside of that sort of 
bell, you know, that little um, that little yeah. thing that we think of as the fruit of a fig tree. There yeah. can be as many as 1,600 individual flowers inside one fig, uh, which is, I mean, it's mind-blowing to me. And when you eat a, uh, a ripe pollinated fig and you get those kind of crunchy little seeds in there, yeah, every yeah. one of those seeds is the product of a single flower within that fig. So if there are a thousand seeds in one fig, that means there were a thousand flowers that were pollinated inside that one fig. Wow. Is that not amazing? I mean, to it, me, that's it just really is. It really is. And, and the other wild thing about that is we didn't realize that until relatively recent history. Uh, for the longest time, the fig tree was thought of as the tree that does not flower. In fact, it's referred to that in a lot of ancient uh, Chinese and Indian texts as, as the, the tree that does not flower, when in fact it actually is, you know, tens of thousands of flowers, if not internally of kind of yeah, flower. Yeah, they're just hidden. I mean, it's just a hidden kind of a thing. Oh, my gosh. So the, the really cool thing, though, which might also, you know, creep you out just a tiny bit in their natural habitat. So mainly in sort of northern Africa, every type of fig has a specific pollinator that has evolved alongside with the fig in a very symbiotic relationship. So the one that that's sort of most well known, and there's a lot of misinformation about, because wasps and bees love our figs, but they aren't really pollinating them here. So in my backyard, they're covered in wasps, but they're just at, you know, they're just like us. They're looking for the fruit and the syrup. They want to eat it. But the actual thing that pollinates them is a tiny, tiny, minuscule little wasp that goes into the little belly button opening at the very end of the fig. And this wasp is so attuned to the fig tree that the fig tree is only open the right diameter at a very specific time and sends out almost like a pheromone. It's a chemical signal that lets the wasp know, hey, now's the time. And so this tiny little wasp, the female, with it, who's already, uh, she's already uh, got the, her, the business for the next generation. I want to get into the sex parts of a wasp, but basically she's got fertile eggs and she needs to get them in this fig. So the opening is so small so that ants and other things don't get in there. She goes into that opening and using her mandibles, she actually chews a tunnel into that semi-ripe fig. And she has to squeeze so tightly into that fig that her antennae and her wings break off as she is wiggling herself into that. And it's a one-way trip. She's going to make yeah. it into that fig and she's going to die in there, but not before laying thousands of eggs into the little ovums of that fig. And again, here's where people get freaked out and go, wait a second, when I'm eating a fig, I'm eating a whole bunch of weird little wasp larvae. Wasps. Maybe wasps. Could be if you are in that region of the world, but again, in most of the the fruit growing regions, that that isn't the case. This um, okay, so this is some misinformation here, because it seems if you look at you know the internet, and I am, uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the internet, but it is this, uh, it's an opportunity you have. It's like a big encyclopedia on your computer. If you go on there, it pretty much says this big ass wasp is crawling up in your fig. It is dumping a bunch of eggs and you're chewing them. That's that's kind of the information out there. And it certainly doesn't say anything. I, I didn't see any information about how it isn't happening locally and that it is for, locally being where you and I live. Right. That it's, you know, more of like the continent of Africa. It I, absolutely. I no idea. And in Southeast Asia too, each, each of them are, you know, all slightly different, but really the ones that we have over here, again, you'll see wasps and bees all over them, but they're, and they might, you know, again, they might lay a, a fly can lay a maggot on anything, right? But the that symbiotic relationship is for a specific wasp in a specific region. And 
again, that evolution is really un, unimaginable how specific that has to be. So and, most of the figs that we eat do not need that pollination. Correct. They do not need that relationship. Yeah. And, you know, really the huh. a, a ripe fig seed can take up to 20 years to make a tree that would, would bear fruit. And so in the actual commercial fig growing business, they're using cuttings of existing trees. So they're bypassing that whole, you know, sort of pollination side of things anyway. So um, now there are, if you buy dried figs in those parts of the world, it's almost right. kind of like you hear about peanut butter. There's going to be X amount of, you know, bugs in every jar. Don't of peanut be spoiling butter. peanut butter. What the <laughs> hell is wrong with you? If you're going to spoil figs today, do that. Leave peanut butter alone. Well, Everyone, I'm apologizing for whatever's <laughs> happening right now. Can you just, you know, easy, it's, easy. It's, it's like the matrix. At some point, you just have to accept reality for what it is and just don't know that certain things might fall into an industrial peanut uh, butter factory. Dried but, figs. We're talking about dried figs. Yes, indeed. So uh, anyway, um, that, so for the most part, that is not a part of your day-to-day -day equation. So when you bite into a fig in Greece, you're not biting into a thousand little wasp larvae. You're biting into that kind of it really is like a whole forest of tiny little flowers. And so you get not only the flavor, you get kind of this interesting salad, texture, if you will, yeah. of texture, right? It's a whole bunch of different things. It's all the things you learned in high school uh, biology class. It's the pistils, the stamen, the ovums. It's all of those little flower parts, but times as many as 1600, all in one little one inch sphere jam packed in there. Well, do you know that I, to talk about the wasps again for a second, um, I have read about an issue that vegans have, not all, but some vegans. Are you going to talk about that? Were you going to mention no, that? No, I have not. Yeah, but, but the idea know. of like, is it vegan then? But of course, you know, it's a symbiotic relationship. They need each other to survive. Yep. And it isn't, you know, a wasp abuse. Um, no, it's not intentional. And and honestly, for the the figs that have the larvae in them, they typically are somewhat hollowed out. So they aren't really viable for consumption for us anyway, because when they harvest those figs, they're going to be mushier. They're going to be hollow in the inside because the larvae of those wasps basically not only use it as shelter, that is their embryo, so to speak. That's the thing that they are feeding on as they're growing. So typically those would be the figs that would not get harvested that end up on Whole Foods or you know going to the drying facility or going into jams because they are, I mean, I don't want to say in, infected, but they are the, nursing, the nurseries for these baby little wasps. And so they would not be the one that the farmer would pick in those regions, right? So it, it's very obvious that those are the ones that have the, the, the wasp larvae in there. So um, I, I just think it's a beautiful relationship. And for me, having that sort of science bend to everything, I just think that is an amazing fact to an already delicious thing. But again, for me being a backyard, you know, hobbyist, I don't have to worry. I have to worry about getting stung by, you know, the mean ass wasps, but they aren't doing the, they aren't doing their business in there to raise. Um, they're just want to, they want to bite of a juicy fig, just like me. So I, uh, I, if anybody is interested in figs, like I said, that book, God's Wasps and Stranglers, and the title kind of makes sense as you read it. Um, it really is a fascinating book. Uh, but what I found here in the South, for every person that loves a fig, there's a handful of people that just don't get it. Like they, they either think figs are poisonous, and believe me, I've had so many people that think fresh figs are poisonous until you cook them, which obviously is not the case. Or the only opinion people have of figs is from fig newtons sure and he, i don't know about up there but in the south fig newtons can be a little bit divisive people either love them or they hate them really I'm, yeah and i'm in the i love them i well, always love you know them. there's a big history with fig newtons and now what it, it is now known only as 
the Newton. Did the you know Newton. that? I did not. Well, sit down. Let me tell you. Well, so now good. the Fig Newton is one of the earliest commercially baked products in America. Did you know that? I did not. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting. Um, they're based on um, a British fig roll, which is kind of a crumbly pastry with a jammy scoop of fig in the middle. Now it's going to be different than a Fig Newton because Fig Newtons are made with high fructose corn syrup. So they're not as sweet. And in fact, if you were to make your own Fig Newtons and they don't really give you the recipe, a lot of cheater recipes are, you know, dried mission figs with orange juice, honey, maybe some applesauce. So there's some fun ways that you can make these yourself. So what I learned that really surprised me was that in the 1800s, a lot of American companies, a lot of small bakeries were being bought up and merged. This was a thing that was happening across the country. Um, and the Kennedy Biscuit Company was one of these larger companies. And they bought a recipe from a cookie maker in Philly. His name was Charles M. Roser. And the Kennedy Biscuit Company named this cookie the Newton. So here's a question. Here's a quiz. I know you love a quiz. This is early for a quiz, but here we go. <laughs> What are Fig Newtons named after? A, Charles Roser's dog. B, Newton, Massachusetts. Three, Sir Isaac Newton. I, again, with the science edge, I'm going to go, I'm going to vote for and hope that it's Sir Isaac Newton. And the answer is Newton, Massachusetts. Oh. So Kennedy Biscuit Company was a Boston-baked uh, excuse me, Kennedy Biscuit Company was a Boston-based company, and they had a habit of naming their cookies after local towns. So Newton was a local town. They had cookies named Beacon Hill and Harvard and Shrewsbury. So as I was saying, in the 19th century, a lot of these bakery mergers are taking place. The Kennedy Biscuit Company is put together with eight other bakeries, and they became the New York Biscuit Company. And then a little later, 40 bakeries in the Midwest were merged to make the American Biscuit Company. And then eight years later, this New York Biscuit Company and the American Biscuit Company, they merge. So now you've got 114 bakeries across the country that have all been like sucked up to become the National Biscuit Company, National Biscuit Company, Nabisco. I had no idea. I had no idea that that was a... Was that's, a... that's why you subscribe to this cast. Oh, okay. Good, good deal. So when they bought Roser's Recipe, and they also bought this machine from this Floridian guy named uh, James Henry Mitchell, and he made a machine that was like a funnel within a funnel. So the outside is pumping out the dough, and the inside is pumping in the jam wow. into this endless length of Fig Newton, you know, well, I don't need a Fig Newton tube, and you cut that up. <laughs> I, I've so, heard of pump up the jam. I haven't pump, heard of uh, pump in the jam. <laughs> the difference all. Well, um, they rename it the Fig Newton, and rather than just the Newton, now they want to you know take control of the fig, and they call it the Fig Newton, and they decide they're not cookies, they're cakes. So they build, and Nabisco built an enormous bakery in downtown New York. Do you know that bakery in downtown New York? Uh, I don't know. It's a do huge I? bakery. It became Chelsea Market. Oh, and what, I, why do we know Chelsea Market? I, do, I think I met you there once or twice in the past. That's the home of Food Network now and lots of great food. So the old Nabisco uh, company down there in Chelsea is Chelsea Market now, uh, where they were making saltines and uh, Barnum's Animal Crackers, later on the Lorna Dunes shortcakes and the Oreos. And they were doing their first packaged cracker. So Back then, you would go to the local bakery with a bag, and you would grab your crackers, your soda crackers, and you'd get them out of your cracker barrel, 
it was a thing and you would take your crackers home. So they made a first package cracker that they called Unita Biscuit. <laughs> Unita Biscuit. Which I do. I do. Just a ridiculous name. <laughs> but you'd think it's a ridiculous name, right? But, but it took off so much that uh, other people started to infringe on their name and they had lawsuits against companies called You Wanna Biscuit and You Like a Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, By the way, God. you like a biscuit is my new drag name. I love Ladies it. Ladies and gentlemen, you, you like, like a biscuit. You like a biscuit. I'm every woman. <laughs> All right. So uh, the Unita Baker boy was their advertising mascot. It was this little boy in a yellow rain slicker. And in the 1930s ads, this like Baker boy was kind of appearing on all kinds of items because at that point they were really featuring the uh, larger bakery with the uh, item kind of behind it. So it would be like, you need a biscuit company brings Fig Newtons. But it was okay. more about the Unita, right? By the 1940s and 40s and 50s, they're advertising Fig Newtons, but now Nabisco, they're using Nabisco as the name. It's still just as big as Fig Newtons in the ad copy. Um, and it wasn't until the 60s that the name of the bakery went to the background and they're really focusing on the item, which I just thought was really surprising. I uh, Just something, a little something I learned. Um, and But in the 1970s, there was a Fig Newton commercial. Do you ever know something that you com is completely gone in your head and then you see it somewhere and you're like, holy crap, I can't believe I remember that? Yeah, there all was the time. A big Fig commercial. And in the Big Fig commercial, I'm going to put a link to this on our Facebook page. Guys, you have to go and watch this. There's like this heavy, like James Gandolfini looking guy dressed as a fig and he does this dance in this fig costume and it's just him and a spotlight and he goes ooey gooey rich and chewy inside tender flaky golden cakey outside put the inside on the outside is a good darn tootin it's the big fig newton here's the tricky part big fig newton it's just and when i watch this i'm like oh my god i so remember <laughs> this um also uh you other people might remember it um on The Simpsons, Homer's mother would sing it to Homer's lullaby when he was little. Love <laughs> the it. Big Fig Newton song. So in uh, this guy, this guy in the Big Fig Newton, uh, his name was James Harden, uh, and he was an actor, and he did one Broadway show called Very Good Eddie. <gasps> what Broadway show, <laughs> Natalie? So oh, in the musical Very Good Eddie that was written by Jerome Kern, no, that would be totally unfair. Look, I'm look at your face. You. Look at this your face. This is like no. so obscure. Yes, it is. It is way too obscure for oh Stump the Straight Guy. But I did want to say, now, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I am going to really go off topic for a second because James Harden, this guy, his dad was a Titanic survivor. Hmm. And a quick little thing, just bear with me because I just thought this was fascinating. His, when he felt the impact, he said, this was some quotes I found, the impact was not so heavy as to even wake up a great many passengers. I might say that many of them never knew of the collision, and I believe they sank while asleep. Wow. And wow. when I told people that I'd been told to put on life belts, they laughed at me and said it was a joke. Have you wow. ever heard anybody saying that? No. I had you know, never heard that people like had no idea. Okay, you're going to laugh at me. I've never even seen the movie, but I have seen plenty of documentaries about the Titanic. And it's always described as a, as a, as a catastrophe. I mean, right. it is it is the gold standard of catastrophes. And you think like panic. And of course, you know about it was in the movie. Yeah. Oh, I, I'll, I Which was also made into a Broadway show in <laughs> 1997. Natalie, oh, no. it's time for the, the type a musical called Titanic in okay. 1997. 
but I'm not going to do that one either because you don't even know it. Unfortunately, I, you know, because we're really talking about this guy being a Titanic survivor. So I think really I know how shame. it ends. I think I know how the story ends. <laughs> don't give it away. Unfortunately, there is no such thing as a 1964 Broadway musical film based on a 1960 Broadway musical about a Titanic survivor. Or is there, Natalie? Here it comes. Oh, no. It's time for Stop the Straight Guy. All right. Yeah, Titanic Survivor. Deep. This Titanic. <laughs> it's the Titanic. I'm going to dig deep. This Titanic Survivor, who you should know, who you should know, um, it it is a Broadway musical and a 1964 film starring do you know who who uh carrie fisher's mother is oh i uh, uh i do i know eddie fisher is her dad yeah, yeah. and and the mother um, is the mother is i'll give God, it to you i know it but you're gonna tell me they're gonna kick debbie, reynolds. Debbie, debbie reynolds. reynolds debbie reynolds so debbie reynolds was nominated for an oscar in this in the film it is called the uns the play the musical i'm giving you a big hint is called the unsinkable and it is the name of this woman who did not sink in the Titanic. Kathy Bates played her in the film. Oh, I, I haven't seen the film. I. But I, it's history. I it's know. history. God. Oh, man, I bet you if she was dressed as a fig, you would have known her damn name. Oh, okay, yeah, people, it, if you know the name, I'm giving up on you, Hans. I'm not talking. <laughs> if you know the name of this 1964 musical film starring Debbie Reynolds, the unsinkable who go to our Facebook page, put it down, show Hans that he should know this. He should know this one. <laughs> and that is the stump, the straight guy. And if you are following last week's episode of stump, the straight guy was clams. And I sang real nice clam bake and Hans got it correct. When yeah, he guessed carousel total off the skin of my teeth there. Now I have to tell you the stump, the straight guys, I look forward to and dread them in equal measure every I week. Bet, I bet no one dreads them as much as the listeners. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so back to back to Fig Newtons. In the 1980s, they decide to start calling them chewy cookies. So now they're moving to something else, right? And then they want to do less fig and introduced apple cinnamon and strawberry and raspberry and blueberry. They had apple, grape, and cherry. Those were discontinued. So I was kind of curious, why did they discontinue apple and then introduce apple cinnamon? And I was wondering what the flavor was like. And so I kept Googling, you know, discontinued apple newton i wanted to know why and all that kept coming yeah. up was that damn steve jobs if you're if you're <laughs> curious he discontinued the apple newton on february 27th 1998 got it got it yeah but you know it seems like of flavors it seems like apple would be again not the steve jobs variety but it seems like the apple fruit would have been just like a, a home run well, they've, they're doing less figs because they started in the in the um, mid 2000s, uh, you know, the, the, the knots, I guess, the mid knots, 2005, 2006, a big decline. And they t attribute it to the brand name, which is Fig Newtons, because baby boomers are not on board with figs. You know, they're being associated with prunes, which yep. is being yep. associated with laxatives, frankly. Um, generic with figs. So one of the senior directors at Kraft, you know how I love a random te uh, quote, right? He says, it was going to be hard for us to advance the Newton's brand with the baggage of the fig. The baggage of the fig. Well, I have bags full of figs in my refrigerator <laughs> right now. They do come with a lot of baggage. What a bastard. And he's like, he's the senior director and he's like, it's the baggage of the fig. You go get uh, another job. Yep. If you can't back up the Newton. He's good. So they became simply Newton's in 2012. And that is the journey of the Fig Newton. Now, I do have to put in one kind of political thing, so I think it would be um, irresponsible not to say it right now. The Nabisco workers have been on strike. You know, we are filming this, uh, excuse me, 
we are taping this in late August of uh, 2021. Nabisco workers uh, in the beginning of August just went on strike in Oregon and within days, the Virginia uh, plants, Colorado, Georgia, and now Chicago. And Chicago, the Chicago Nabisco plant is the largest bakery in the world. Wow. They had huge layoffs in 2016 when they let more than half of the workers go because they outsourced the Oreos to Mexico. And Oreos is like, uh, that's their that's their money. And there was sure. tons of jobs there. They've And because now they're understaffed, short-staffed, they are forcing people to work double shifts, double eight-hour shifts. And they're also trying to get rid of overtime on top of this. So it's uh, the plant is currently shut down. So it doesn't it's not good for Nabisco right now. But I did think that we should mention that. No, that's uh, that is unfortunate. I wonder if they tried uh, paying their their workers with cookies in addition as a bonus. Well, you, you know, used to get five bucks and all the figs you could eat. All you can eat. I was Maybe du- that's what they're doing. Those bastards. I was double. That's what they're doing with figs. <laughs> double stuff. Double stuff. Well, instead of working double shifts, they should just they're, they're, they should change the branding of that. You're not working double shifts. We're just double stuffing your hour. We're double stuffing. Your... Okay, what time is it now? Uh, I think it's time we talk about some food. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. So the challenge with a food for me, like figs, is I, I absolutely love them any way, shape, or form, fresh, or I even freeze them for making jams because they I get so many so fast when they come ripe that I end up having to freeze them. And quick note, if you are freezing figs, if you do have a backyard fig tree, uh, I don't cut the stems off until I'm ready to use them if they're fresh, because as soon as you cut the stems, they start to kind of lose some of the liquid and get dehydrated. But if I'm going to freeze them, I cut all the stems off and I put them on a sheet pan uh, lined in wax paper, freeze them, and then I put those frozen figs that are individually quick frozen, IQF, uh, and I can drop those into uh, smoothies or, or anything I'm using uh, for the frozen figs are awesome. But I came across the idea of a fig barbecue sauce. You know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. I had too many figs. I was craving a good barbecue. And so rather reaching uh, for honey or, you know, something like that, uh, sometimes I would use applesauce. I thought, you know what? I have all of this fig jam that I just made. I'm going to make a a fig barbecue sauce. And uh, I actually used this on the Next Food Network star. And when we were on with uh, Henry Smith, was that his name on the CBS uh, morning show? Harry Smith. Harry Smith. Harry Smith. Harry Harry Smith. Smith. Uh, I did a country style pork uh, pork loin, pork chop uh, with that barbecue sauce. And he actually took the plate back to his office. Like of all the food Aww. we made, that was the biggest compliment. He said, I'm keeping this one. And he took it back to his office. Oh, and that's finished awesome. it all. Uh, and he that's actually great. came back and showed me the pick clean bone from that bone in country style pork chop. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, to this uh, fig sauce, I used it in my cookbook, Eat Like There's No Tomorrow, with some grilled quail and quail's not an everyday kind of thing, but you do see it a lot now frozen. It's a very delicate meat. Uh, it doesn't need a lot of uh, a lot of work, so it's just simply grilled. And I'm going to put the full recipe on the on the website straight from the cookbook. Um, but I uh, I love the combination of chipotles, which has that smoked jalapeno with the sweetness of the figs. And the figs, again, as you kind of cook them down, they get this sort of amber, again, almost sorghum. Uh, molasses kind of a flavor to them, which works perfectly with the light, delicate uh, quail. And you can make it as spicy or as light as you like. Now, I sometimes, if I have a a larger crowd that I don't know what their spice tolerance is, 
I'll just use the adobo sauce that is around the chipotles. Mm -hmm. You can always mm -hmm. add heat. It's tough to take it out. Yeah, yeah. Um, so make if you're worried about the heat, you can omit the chipotles and just use the adobo sauce. Um, but it's a, it's a really good um, sauce that I'm quite proud of, and I'm going to try to bottle it. And I've had so many people asking me, you know, you should bottle this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and in fact, our mutual friend, uh, Michael Thomas, who was on the Next Food Network Star with us, called me several years ago and said, hey, you're, uh, you remember that fig uh, barbecue sauce you made at the Next Food Network Star? And I said, absolutely. He goes, well, it just won an award in Iceland. Uh, which is probably the most <laughs> random collection of words anyone has said to me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Well, he had got invited uh, to be a guest chef up there and just remembered that and uh, and threw to, had had a handful of ingredients, threw that together. And uh, surprising to both of us, I think, was uh, he actually won the competition using that. Um, so there's there's an accolade that I'm very proud you of. You got to bottle it. You got to bottle it so people can just like hop onto the website and pick it up. Yeah. So yeah, when I do, that's where it'll live. Uh, but it is a, it's a great summer recipe. And again, because I'm using uh, preserved figs, you can make it any time of the year when you're looking for uh, just a good bit of sweet heat. And and what uh, when we have our uh, when we have our barbecue, what are we drinking? All right, I have a cocktail from my book, New Old Bar, which we call a Hey Buddy. And it's a, one of my original cocktails. So I didn't say this earlier, but Dan's grandfather uh, was from Italy. Uh, I think he was from Southern Italy, maybe Puglia. And when he moved to America and was living in Long Island, he had a fig tree in the, in the yard in Long Island. But of course, you know, it gets cold there. So every winter you could tell the Italians in the neighborhood because in the front yard, there would be a fig tree with a spaghetti pot, a pasta pot on top of it, completely wrapped up in tar paper. Wow. They, they would, this is a, you know, New Jersey, New York thing is this fig tree pot. There's a whole bunch of people listening to this right now going, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's a thing. So um, Dan's grandfather used to get really upset with Dan and his, uh, his brothers because they would eat too many uh, puddings, too many jello puddings. And he would say, hey, buddy, how many pudding you have, eh? <laughs> I, have a, I have a one. So, so we call this one a Hey Buddy after Dan's grandpa. I love it. So it's, um, it's a figgy, figgy uh, dark, yummy cocktail. It's rye whiskey with fernet branca and some fig jam. So instead of like muddling figs, you can just put some jam in there that's giving you the, the sugar that you need in the drink. That's going to give you a bit of sweetness along with the fig and then some sage. It's, it's really a good cocktail that you're going to uh, serve up um, and it uses Fernet Branca. And if, do you know what Fernet is? I, I, I've had it and I love it, but I couldn't tell oh, yeah, you you what probably would because it's very kind I of, like, yeah, that, that kind of German. Love mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Fernet is one of those uh, digestifs um, that are lots. It's very root heavy, kind of medicinal. Fernet is, tastes like if, uh, if birch beer grew up to become your mother's boyfriend, Todd. <laughs> You know, he's, he's, he's rough and he's bitter. Um, but you, you know, he's got a handlebar mustache and rides a unicycle. So he's like, he's kind of cool and you can't, can't help but like Todd. So Fernet Branca, Branca is actually the brand. Mm. Uh, most people, it's, it's very for us, especially here in the States, it's very Reynolds wrap band-aid kind of the ubiquitous Fernet Branca. Uh, but Fernet is the, is the actual, um, liqueur. And uh, Bernardino Branca, who originated it, was supplying it to um, uh, the Milan hospitals during a 19th century cholera 
epidemic because, you know, all of those like I said, root-heavy herbal liqueurs are known for aiding in digestion and uh, easing cramps as well. So they do have medicinal qualities. So there's about 27 ingredients in Fernet, and they won't tell you what the ingredients are. They're, you you know what some of them are, but they won't disclose five of them. So it's like your grandmother who like always leaves something out of the recipe because she just wants to take it with her, the recipe with her when she dies. Um, I will say one of their ingredients is saffron and Fernet Branca. You're going to think I'm lying here. They use 75% of the global saffron supply. Wow. Wow. That is that amazing. Not, right? I just I, I had to check that and double check that. That is amazing because you think of like, I, I immediately think of my uh, Persian friends and how much saffron they use just every day in rice. Or what. I just would have assumed that, that Iran right. would be using 75%. But wow, that's amazing. Right. So uh, cheers to Dan's... Uh, Dan's granddad, hey body. Hey body, I, I love that. I mean, I own a t-shirt that says, hey body. So you mentioned the word figgy and I have two quick thoughts about the word figgy. Number one, that crazy Christmas song with those yeah. crazy people saying- Bring some figgy pudding. Figgy pudding, which has lard or suet in it. So it's not exactly uh, traditionally a delicious thing. But who are these people that barge in saying we want figgy pudding and we want it right now and we're not going until we get some? I mean, these are like angry, aggressive, Christmassy people that are holding you and your loved ones hostage in your own home for figgy pudding. I just think that's yeah. a that's aggressive. We we don't have the best uh, dentists in England, and so we can be cranky. <laughs> yeah, we can be so cranky and demanding. The the second thought about Figgy is I have a, a pet turkey named Figgy, and I'll I'll put a picture of him online. He's a beautiful Spanish black turkey, and I named it Figgy because whenever I'm picking the fig trees, if I find a, a bird pecked or a half-eaten fig, I save it for my pet chickens and turkeys. Well, Figgy got the name because that bird will cut a bitch for a fig. I mean, <laughs> he is obsessed, and I'm not kidding. So he's about two years old now, and he follows me around the yard like a dog. He's really just the most tame, sweet bird there is. I haven't eaten turkey in, in over two years because of Figgy, uh, but I love the fact that he will never pick one off a tree, just like a dog waiting for a treat. He will wait for me to pick a, uh, a damaged or half-eaten fig for me to throw to him, and then he will scarf that sucker down. Okay, if you're interested in any of these recipes, and we hope you are, please go to our website, butidigestpodcast.com, and you can get them there for nothing. Uh, if you would like to email us and tell us where we were wrong and why you are so damn mad, <laughs> why don't you do that at butidigestpodcast at gmail.com. Visit us on Twitter, butidigestpodcast, Facebook, butidigestpodcast. You have to go there because we're always doing cool things on there. And Instagram, which who knows if we're even going to use that. We, we suck at that. But I digest podcast also on the website hopefully we've now populated it and you can find my cocktail book for download the new old bar you can find hans's book yes hans uh yeah working on getting an e-version of that and i'm and i'm redoing uh, uh eat like there's no tomorrow i'm going to put a, a uh, an updated revised edition out soon that's my that's my priority but i do have my uh, signature spice blends i have five of them and uh they sell fairly quickly but uh, one of them called Honey Buzz is fantastic. If you're not going to make the fig barbecue sauce and you want, you're craving that kind of smoky, sweet heat, Honey Buzz is a fantastic dry barbecue rub that uh, I think you'll enjoy. And it's I available. I say it as is. Well. All right. Um, bring us some figgy pudding. Are we, are we done here? We are done here. Thank you so much for indulging my uh, obsessive figginess. And uh, I look forward to our next food adventure. Bye.